Hello, it's David here. Thank you for listening to the Leader Coronavirus Daily. It would be a really big help if you could subscribe to the show and give us a rating. That way, more people will discover our news, interviews, analysis, and special features. And let us know that you're listening. Say hi using the hashtag The Leader Podcast on social media. It would be lovely to meet you. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Is the worst over? I think the peak came a little earlier than they thought. The capacity was there. And now, one major London hospital, they've even got two empty wards now. The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prynne as the number of people being treated for COVID-19 in London's hospitals drops by 1,000 in a week. Also, I've never really encountered anything like it in the history books because the entire world has has sort of gone into a, a form of protective stasis, which is extraordinary. But we've also got Wi-Fi. You know, we simply couldn't have done this 10 years ago. Historian Greg Jenner, as experts and celebrities unite to teach our nation's children in quarantine. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, doctors think the pandemic may have peaked, but is it too soon to get our hopes up? Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Staff lined the road and applauded as the first patients to be discharged from London's NHS Nightingale were driven out by ambulance at the weekend. And this isn't the only sign of hope that the tide may be turning. No one is saying for definite that a peak has passed, but in London, the number of people being treated for COVID-19 has fallen by around 1,000 in a week. One doctor has written an article for the Evening Standard saying the stress has evaporated. The newspaper's Jonathan Prynne is with me now over Skype. And Jonathan, you've been speaking to medics throughout this pandemic. The figures appear to be falling. Is that being reflected in what people have been telling you? Very much so, yes. Um, they are relieved and, and frankly delighted is probably not quite the right word, but there's certainly a huge sense of, of relief that the worst in London certainly in central London, certainly at the big teaching hospitals, does seem to be over. Uh, and the numbers of admissions and deaths, all the sort of key indices, are in quite rapid decline now. Is this fall in the figures in London because of the lockdown? Well, very interestingly, these figures point to a peak in deaths and uh, critical care admissions around late March, early April, which suggests that uh, given typically this illness, it takes about 21 days from infection to to death. It suggests that the peaking when it came in early April was 
affected not so much by the lockdown, but maybe more by the sorts of measures that we took quite early on that we almost seem sort of forgotten now about washing our hands more regularly, using hand sanitizers regularly, the beginning of social distancing, all those measures that were taken quite early on, long before the full lockdown, may actually, these figures suggest, have had a very, very important and significant effect on reducing the number of infections quite early on in, in the pandemic. You've been talking to doctors at various places uh, across London since this began, and the fear had been that they were going to be overwhelmed that's not happened then? It hasn't. Uh, that, that was their nightmare scenario. They were worried that the capacity wouldn't be there to, to cope. And, and you'd see in London and elsewhere in the UK, the sorts of scenes that were the terrible scenes that, that you saw in Italy uh, about a month ago, where some hospitals just did not, were not able to cope with the, the amount of the number of incoming very severely ill patients and there was even talk at one stage of of care and treatment having to be rationed between you know the people they thought they could save and, and the people that they thought were too far gone and I think doctors over here were terrified that that could play out in, in London and elsewhere in the UK as well but it didn't I think the peak came a little earlier than they thought the capacity was there and now uh, I'm told uh, one one major London hospital they've even got two empty wards now that they're deep cleaning and preparing to go back to return to patients for elective surgery and, and, and those sort of slightly lower urgency cases that they've had to put on hold uh, since the start of the crisis. But the crisis isn't over yet. And are doctors still concerned about the lack of personal protection equipment? Yeah, I mean, they, they are. This is, this is the big gap. In, in, I think the hospitals generally have been quite well prepared, but this, this does seem to be the the big gap and the big failing in our preparedness but hopefully in the next few days that situation should be alleviated but it's it's probably been the worst failing um in through the crisis so far we have had one doctor write an article for the evening standard today and one thing that struck me as really interesting was optimism that the worst has passed now but also explaining that this is now going to be a story about recovery and that is going to take some time I think that's the way the, um, the, the NHS is, or, or in London anyway, the, the way the frontline workers are now seeing it, that the sort of emergency phase uh, is coming to an end in the sense that admissions are falling. But what we're beginning to learn about this illness is that the recovery phase is long and arduous and requires almost as much resources as the, as the treatment phase, as it were, or the illness phase. So Nightingale Hospital, which uh, so far has been barely used because the, the existing hospitals were able to cope. That my, the doctor I spoke to this morning was suggesting that could be turned into a huge recovery and rehabilitation unit um, for the thousands of patients that are going to need quite lengthy recovery, especially after ventilation, intubation, which obviously huge invasive treatment, which requires long, long and patient recovery time. Next. There is no historical precedent for the kind of existence many of us are living right now because actually we're living in a weird little 21st century micro event that is a huge piece of history. Historian Greg Jenner on a historic call to arms for some of our best educators, experts and celebrities to teach the UK's children.
It's hard to keep track of the days, let alone school diaries, but it is the end of the Easter holidays. The summer term has begun. Those parents who had taken a break from teaching their own children are now being asked, although not obliged, to resume lessons. When, they might ask, will it end? And how, they may also wonder, can they make the best of things in the meantime? Our editorial column is thinking the same. There is no clear answer to the first question. Mixed messages from the government have not helped. In Britain, it is hard to imagine schools reopening before June, and even then only some classes would take place. It will be the autumn before anything approaching familiar school life returns. So that makes online learning vital, but a survey by the Sutton Trust charity suggests only a third of children have taken part in online classes, and that private school pupils are much more likely to do so than ones in state schools. That's why we welcome the launch today of the Oak National Academy, the first online UK classroom. It's backed up with plans to give laptops, tablets and 4G access to families who don't have them. The BBC is providing a new education service too. It won't be the same as school, but while classrooms are closed, learning doesn't have to stop. The BBC service will see people like David Attenborough teaching natural history, Ed Balls is doing an economics class, and the historian and host of Your Dead to Me podcast, Greg Jenner, is releasing a series on history, surprisingly enough. The first went out on BBC Radio 4 this morning, and he joins me now over Zoom. Greg, have we as a nation ever had to come together like this to educate our children before, like in the Second World War or maybe the Spanish flu epidemic? Yeah, I mean, certainly during the Second World War, there was a genuine attempt to try and keep teachers in their roles. So teachers were exempt from military service, for example, um, and to try and maintain some sense of classroom community spirit. And, and you know, I think it became very difficult with you know, the Blitz and where children were taken out of the cities often and sent off to safety in the countryside. That, that became harder. But there was this awareness that you have to carry on with the education of children because it gives them comfort and reassurance. And also it's important. You know, education is what we value so deeply. And so even in the midst of a, a terrible war, you're still trying to plan for the future and make sure that young minds become adults. And yeah, I suppose we are now in a very strange moment, but the BBC in their hour of kind of crisis i think have stepped up and gone well we can help here and i'm i'm hugely proud to be part of that i listened to the first one this morning which is all about the the restoration and king charles and and all the chaos that came with that particular part of of english history um what sort of things were you thinking about then you kind of touched on this a bit but what kind of things were you sort of concentrating on to try and make this a fun show to listen to as well as educational. The tricky thing when you're doing history is that a lot of history is actually quite dark and quite nasty and violent, you know, and you try, you're trying to pick stories that are familiar, useful, accessible, but there are some stories that are, you know, they've got violence in the centre of them. So we have to be quite careful tonally, but having done horrible histories for 12 years, I'm, I'm able to sort of, I think hopefully judge where the line is. We know that kids love all the kind of gore and violence and poo and we in the past. So you give them a little bit of that, but, the challenge on this one is trying to produce a series that is not necessarily there to reinforce the curriculum, but at the same time can help teachers if they feel they need a little bit of a boost. You know, we're not doing subjects that are specifically just curriculum based, but we are trying to do things which are 
often sort of first examined at roughly that age when kids are about seven or eight years old. So we've, you know, this morning done the restoration of Charles II. We've got uh, episodes coming up on Mary Queen of Scots, the space race, Charles Dickens, Cleopatra, the first emperor of China, um, Qin Shi Huang. Um, we've got uh, the British Stone Age. So, you know, Stone Age Britain, what it was like. We're trying to sort of get around the houses a bit and do history all the way back to the Stone Age and all the way up to the 20th century. But obviously, with Your Dead to Me, my podcast for grown-ups, we can be much more global and a lot more broad. With kids, you've got to sort of, you know, give them a bit more of a helping hand with just some of the, the more obvious stories that uh, they might encounter anyway when they're growing up. So the choice was, how do we try and be a little bit more global than usual, but at the same time, giving them something that's not too off the beaten track so that it can be useful for, for parents and teachers. Did you think about doing something connected to things like lockdowns or viruses, something like the Spanish flu? From my point of view, I'm trying to move away from the thing that it's, I mean, I'm finding it all very anxious. I don't really like waking up every morning and reading the news and just suddenly going, oh no, it's, it's today's worse than yesterday. So I'm trying to, where I can, bring a little bit of joy and um, distraction to be honest from what's going on I think there is certainly an angle of saying well look there is a, a historical precedent here of of pandemics and lockdowns and whatnot in some ways but I think because so many children out there are probably scared and confused and you know, they don't know what's going to happen and when they're going to get to see their friends again or when they're going back to school and they may even know people in their family who are not very well you know it's I think my job probably is to try and lift the mood a bit and give them something else to think about and give them some laughs you know we've had some lovely tweets this morning from parents saying their kids were you know one kid fell off the sofa giggling and you kind of go that's you know that's the best review you can get is a child <laughs> accidentally well hopefully not hurting themselves but um if a child is giggling you go yeah okay great that's worked i think it's really interesting really heartening how the nation has come together with education as a priority during this time because children are away. So we have people like you making your podcast. Danny Dyer's doing history with the BBC. Ed Bowles is going to be doing an economics teaching lesson. How unique is this time for us, Greg? From a historical point of view, we are, you know, there are certainly little moments that feel familiar, but, you know, from a wider point of view, this is a extraordinary moment. I've never really encountered anything like it obviously the entire nation the entire, the entire world has sort of gone into a, a form of protective stasis this is obviously a huge challenge for teachers parents carers uh, anyone working in education and i think we've seen already some incredible responses from all of these people everyone trying their best to try and you know keep some sense of normality for kids so there is no historical precedent for the kind of existence many of us are living right now because actually we're living in a weird little 21st century micro event that is a huge piece of history it's going to i'm sure will change the course of the world and i'm sure we will look back on it and go wow do you remember that 2020 was epic but there's no real obvious comparison because i can go back to yeah spanish flu which is a devastating pandemic in 1919 but this is not that. It's our own little strange phenomenon that we have to deal with. And Greg's new book, Dead Famous, which looks at celebrities from the Stone Age until now, is also out now. 
And that's the Leader Coronavirus Daily. You can keep up with all the latest COVID-19 developments with the Evening Standard's live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. And we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.